0: Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and growers, industry, the science community and policy makers to hear their stories and views on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week on Factor Magri, Mark Cameron joins me to discuss some of the key issues farmers are facing. Mark is a farmer and the ACT Party's primary industry spokesperson. Mark joins me now. Hello, Mark. Thank you for joining me today. Morning, Angus. How are we? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Now, you are the spokesperson for Primary Industries for the ACT Party. You are also a farmer. Can you tell me about your farm, where you farm, and what you farm?
1: Yeah, Angus, no problem. Yeah, look, I've been up in Northland for 33 years on the Copra Clay, so I'm in a little small town called Rooi, um, about 25 minutes south of Dargville on the west coast. Um, it's, it's, it's it's pretty good rainfall area up here. We sort of sit at about 1375 to 1500, sort of year in, year out. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I say, I've been up here a, a, a fair length of time. Love the place. Um, been dairy farming up here that entire time, milking black and white cattle. So it's yep. that's, that's home for me.
0: Yeah, good one. I'm keen to get your views on some areas that I believe to be of high importance. Firstly, for me, biodiversity is a big area of interest. What is your view on the biodiversity national policy statement?
1: Oh, look, if it, if the, the, the premise of your questions is predicated around SNAs, um, if I could go to that, ACT has always been of the volition. You know, it comes back to property rights. We've seen um, huge angst when I've been at public meetings up and down the country especially in places like the west coast of the South Island, where people see their property rights being eroded. Now, I maintain there's a better way of addressing this issue. Uh, We would primarily scrap SNAs. This is a 30-plus-year conversation, and we'd scrap them Not not because we don't care about biological and ecological outcomes, but it actually would help investment at a local level. And what I mean by that, is is that we would create an incentive for those that wanted to continue to invest in sustainable outcomes on-farm, create a $10 million a year contestable fund. uh, That would be an annualised fund at at your council um, by virtue of what we've seen in other jurisdictions around, around the world. Now, I use the UK as an example. Property values have actually gone up when farmers had a contestable fund that they can access to further invest in things like the Queen Elizabeth Trust that we've got here. Um, significant natural areas, as proposed, erode property rights. And as a party that puts property rights as one of its core tenets, um, we, we see a better way forward. Protect property rights, help farmers and landowners invest rather than um, disincentivize them and create animus between you know, councils and landowners. We think there's a better
0: way than... Um, currently, is proposed. Okay, so SNAs have been in operation for I think about twenty years, give or take. And were actually introduced by National for memory. And I think only Southland and Northland have not had a policy around them and mapped, as far as I'm aware. Is it therefore feasible to throw out, or feasible for National to throw out if they created SNAs?
1: Oh, look, it's my, it's my, I'm of the volition that National Party has 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 got its tonality right, but it's got its concept in an oral premise around property rights wrong. Now, I've been in debates with the likes of Scott Simpson before, challenged him on how he protects property rights for you know for private landowners, rateable assets, etc. cetera. Um, and he's the environmental spokesperson for the National Party. He couldn't articulate clearly what that looked like. He said there needed to be, and I'm not picking on the man, but this is where there is a point of difference between us and the National Party. Uh, party and its caucus, he says there needs to be a better definition on what is a significant natural area, what is a wetland, um, what is an area of significance, uh, where where arguably biodiversity is being affected. I maintain it from the premise of property rights. If if the argument has always been, let's have better um, outcomes, and that's what we're all pursuant to doing. If you erode property rights, invari- invariably, you don't have farmer owner operators, rate payers invested in that outcome. And invariably, on the back of that, outcomes for those uh, uh, for biodiversity and those ecological outcomes, uh, they're affected, i.e. they're worse. We don't think there needs to be a definition on it. We're of the volition. You, you premise it on property rights, you help farmers and, and landowners invest in it, you're going to get better outcomes anyway.
0: Okay, so uh, AC will scrap SNAs. So, how do you envision or, or see increased biodiversity or increased environmental outcomes? Can you just sort of tease that out a bit more for me?
1: Yeah, sure. And I mean, I, I, I'll start from what we do know. I mean, the farmers around the country, um, um, you know, ratepayers that small blocks of land all have in large part invested in their own biodiversity in varying degrees. We've seen no end of increase to riparian planting and investment therein. I know in my own backyard, and I've seen it down as far away as places like Ross, farmer owner operators are spending huge amounts of their own money investing in uh, stock exclusion, fencing, um, better weed management, etc., etc., a lot of native plantings. So they have increased their investment. I mean, we're seeing it across the country. I think as a, as, as a rural community especially, we're more now conducive of what's going on in our backyard and our environmental footprint and ecological outcomes. Um, to further embolden that will only further increase uh, the sustainability there. And I think it's a good story. I think we can continue to do that. Um, but I think arbitrary laws that risk property rights will undo all the good work we've thus far done. I think that's the direction we've got to keep going in.
0: Mm. Have you had, had any involvement in catchment groups?
1: Uh, not directly myself in Northland. Um, it's a sort of vagaries. There are, there are catchment groups up here, like especially drainage boards. And I've been involved with those to a lesser degree. But when it comes to, um, you know, sustainability, it's quite nuanced up here. And a lot of it has actually been done, pardon, by the determination of locals. Um, but not necessarily, necessarily the likes of, say, the Huanuri Trust, which is more actively engaged in um, ecological outcomes at a local level. Um, where I live, a lot of people I know have locked up blocks of land that are marginal. Uh, planted, you know, planted a lot of natives. Um, But more broadly, we've seen a huge investment in riparian planting up here. We've got pretty moderate to heavy rainfall, especially over in the Whangarei area, and a lot has already been done. Um, And I go back to the premise of my comments. I I think that will continue.
0: Mm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think ACT were the only party to vote against the zero carbon bill. Um, yes. and, if I'm, and if my memory serves me well, and from what I understand, ACT will also throw out uh, he win, and any price on ag emissions. Is that right?
1: Yeah. What we've said, and we've been very clear on this, we neither want to be a country that uh, falls into martyrdom on the international stage for the sake of international plaudits, or equally be a pariah. We well, I mean we're a trading nation at the bottom of the world with fifty odd billion dollars of stuff that goes north of here. Mm. We have said in terms of Haywock Econoa and a potential emissions pricing scheme is that we should tie our emissions pricing scheme alongside our major, five major trading partner partners. When they move, we move by virtue of doing that. We neither, um, risk productivity leakage offshore and, you know, see the regions become productively poorer. Um, and by virtue, you know, it, it worsen, you know, the environmental outcomes. This is a global problem. And as a trading nation, we've got to play our part. But equally, it cannot be on the back of, say, for example, the one-fifth of, of wool growers and, and sheep meat farmers that may go out of business should Hey be proposed as adopted by the proposals presented by the government. So we think there's a better way forward. Um, if we agree today, as do our detractors and our other trading partners, by the emissions footprint, by a kilo of animal protein, New Zealand farmers are the most emissions-friendly farmers in the world. Let's keep doing what we're doing, but not risk productivity leakage. We'll continue to innovate. Um, farmers and, and growers around the country have continued for decades to do that, but it must not be at the, the risk of productivity and productivity leakage offshore.
0: Given acts were the only party to vote against the zero carbon bill, how politically feasible uh, is it to do nothing in case of pricing ag emissions, do you think?
1: Angus, think really good question. <clears throat> and it comes up a lot. Um, many people have asked me that as, you know, in my role as the primary spokesperson for the party. The point is for us, we run our colours up the mast. We're not the national party. We understand there will be post-election reconciliation. But the, the principle for us is principle, right? We maintain we want to do the right thing, but define the problem. Maintain um, our course as the most emissions-friendly farmers in the world. Let's not jeopardise that. And embrace technology as it emerges. We've seen you know language around feed additives, boluses, plantain investment, that innovation will continue. But an arbitrary tax in front of the fact will hurt productivity, hurt communities, and this is the point, right? It hurts people um, for the sake of no sustainable increased um, ecological environmental outcome. In the interim, um, to to do nothing is not feasible. We can continue to innovate, but it cannot be on the back of, you know, the the you might see economic degradation, you might want to say, in rural New Zealand. This, you know, it's an arbitrary tax up front mm. in the absence of technology to mitigate emissions anyway.
0: So do you think we just simply ignore international obligations?
1: International obligations will push, push markets. Markets are the driver here, right? And I think we all agree New Zealand will play its part, but there needs to be better problem definition, follow the science. We've always talked about if you go back to the agri conversation, GWP 100 was never fit for purpose. It was designed for the petroleum industry. Why weren't we embracing GWP star? Have a technological conversation about outcomes. Yes, we want to play um, our part on the international stage so we don't risk market access, but actually have a conversation about attainable and achievable targets. The, the the ones that are presented to us um and we see you know the 2050 dates as an example looming um we've seen emissions increase so what are the technologies that we can embrace as a country and as a sector that drive it down our emissions footprint currently that's in development let's not for the sake of virtue tax farmers in the absence of those technologies because it won't actually drive down emissions. It will push them up.
0: Okay. Afforestation is a big issue uh, for me. I don't believe you've made comment yet, uh, or ACT has not made comment yet. What do you make of National's statement on carbon farming this week? And what is your view on afforestation and carbon farming in general? And would you or ACT go further than what National uh, have said this week?
1: Uh, Angus, again, it's a really good question. It's a topical one. I mean, carbon farming hurts communities. We've, we know this. I mean, we've seen it up and down rural New Zealand, um, you know, businesses shutting, productivity diminishing. The wider issue is whether it's foreign or domestic, local productivity and jobs are lost out of it. We, we see it. We acknowledge all that. I think the wider conversation is we've got to level up the playing field. It's jilted in favour Of carbon farming, and that's clearly evident, you know, forest subsidies that create an environment that those that would want to carbon farm or go into forestry, you know, $4,000 a hectare. let's get rid of those for a start. Get rid of this disingenuous playing field that favours forestry and carbon farming, especially over other farm practices. The lack of credits for on-farm sequestration is something that comes up a lot with me. Um, gracious me. I see all manner of sequestration on my own land and I'm a pragmatist and by virtue, I see it all over the country when I go around my, my, you know, public meetings it covered in the covered in sequestration as a country. And yet we don't give it the scientific uh, creditation it deserves. And I think this is a big one. There's a lack of access for foreign credits offshore. Why is it that we as a country? have 100% allowable offsets in our own country. So if the argument has been that we continue to pollute as long as we a-forest our backyard, um, but we cannot buy those carbon credits at a lower price offshore, we invariably seek to a-forest to reduce our emissions footprint and maintain serviceability and productivity. The problem is that those two realities are in competition with each other. So I think the argument has always been, how do we keep our carbon price lower, um, or, or low in such a degree that it incentivizes investment offshore, not just inside our own jurisdiction or boundary? I think you address those issues. And this is in the elephant in, in the room, right? We actually, um, take the heat out of the metaphorical, metaphorical engine. We've, we've seen a, a downturn in the carbon price. But I mean, that will wax and wane. If it had gone the other way, we've seen, coupled to all this other um, issue in and around, as I say, this jilted playing field, we will see a continued afforestation, whether it's foreign or domestic. And that's only going to hurt product, productivity in rural New Zealand. I mean, I've seen it quoted by many now, saying, hey, look, we risk seeing one of our meatworks go as an example, then by virtue schools go and service industries go as well. We know this stuff is hurting rural New Zealand. What checks and balances should be put in place that one, don't erode property rights, but equally protect our rural communities? I think that's the wider issue, and that hasn't yet been canvassed fully by the National Party
0: or anyone. I think also, you know, carbon farming it doesn't drive or incentivize change, does it? For example, an airline can essentially dump their pollution on what I would argue as a good food-producing country.
1: I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And hence why we, we I mean, as a party, we've actually got a policy that would propose to offset emissions offshore. And I mean, if, if I could use an analogy, if you could, and I don't mean you literally, but, any, any given person here, any given industry here in New Zealand could re afforestate you know, a forest, the, the Amazon basin, for example, at $10 or $12 a ton. Uh, in in lieu of um, current, you know, framework, which is only afforesting in your own yard, in your own jurisdiction, that would take the heat out of the engine of afforestation for carbon farming here in New Zealand. The simple fact is, as far as I'm aware, we are the only jurisdictional boundary that has 100% allowable offsets inside its own jurisdictional boundary without um, a foresting offshore. If you could buy carbon credits anywhere in the world and a forest that area for considerably less, you take the, the, the false market reality, which is to a forest New Zealand. And I think that is a better way forward than seeing small communities go into trees.
0: So do you think the emissions trading scheme in its current form is working well or would you change the settings?
1: Uh, that's not for me to decide, Angus, but I think what is, what is clearly evident, the emissions trading scheme has a false flaw in it, which was always an issue that was raised politically. Um, I think we've got a cap on emissions. I think the wider point is um, and I go back to the forestry issue. Because we've got a cash, um, sorry, a cap on emissions, the mm. argument is, is to how do we drive behavioural change? And, you know, robbing Peter to give to Paul doesn't do that. I think the third part of the conversation is what technology looks like. And I think we've canvassed that before. Um, let's continue to embrace that. Allow for investment into foreign carbon credits to a greater degree. I think that's the way to go. We've got it. We've got again, we've got a cap on emissions that seems to be working. But as an example, robbing Ute owners via the Ute tax for the sake of subsidizing te- Teslas doesn't drive down emissions. It just robs from Peter to give to Paul inside that metaphorical bubble. Mm. I think the overall thing is how do you drive down overall emissions? Um, but the point in all of this. Robbing Peter to give to Paul and keeping emissions where they are doesn't do that. I think we go back to a couple of core areas. You know, embrace technology, allow for foreign investment into emissions reductions offshore. I think there's another aspect that we haven't touched on um, and it's something that I think that warrants conversation. What technologies, and I think this is the wider issue, what technologies are currently locked offshore that New Zealand doesn't have access that can further drive down our emissions footprint. It's been well articulated by many that the primary sector is almost half, if not half, of New Zealand's emissions profile. We've got technologies that are locked offshore that are not being uh, experimented on here in New Zealand and developed. We've got to expedite a process that would allow that to happen, drive down our emissions by by virtue of a commercial access pathway to those technologies, reduce our profile, rather than sort of squabbling over the scraps under the emissions table, um, trading scheme table. We can can do this, but not on the back of robbing Peter to give to Paul and continuing to emit uh, with an ever-increasing profile.
0: Have you got an example of some of those technologies you referenced?
1: Um, well GE or uh, well, GMO is something that has been well articulated and Australia liberalized its rules back in 219 now this is always an issue that the rural sector has struggled to grapple with or grapple um, with in terms of answers it has been considered less palatable and uh, days gone by and there's more so uh, a point of interest now New Zealand has you know, as you say, um, and we all agree, as a trading nation, we want to drive down our emissions footprint. Technologies like investment into plantain, which we are seeing done here, but there's hybrid technologies in uh, ryegrasses that are being developed in California. Now, ag research itself has said, why aren't we embracing, you know, this kind of technology, its development here and its rollout here? Now. Every time I've questioned the minister when he's made assertions that we risk market access, should we embrace those technologies, he can never speak to the monetization of it. I've asked for statistics. I've asked for cost-benefit analysis. People f- throw away flippant remarks and say, um, including the good minister, and I have every respect for him, but he said we risk our, mark- our special market access. Well, if that's the case, there would be validity to it. We're... Where is the claim and the statistics that back that claim up? I think we've got to embrace those technologies that are locked offshore. I can tell you today, it's been near, near on two years that things like Bovier have sat on the desk of EPA for sanctioning here as a food additive uh, that could be, you know, technologically designed for ruminant bolus, if that's the way it goes. If we agree that technology is the way forward rather than the arbitrary tax, why is it the current government slow walking conversations around GMO, um, the rollout of sanctioning technologies that are being used in parallel jurisdictions offshore that we trade with that aren't being used here? I think that's where we go with this. Technology versus an arbitrary tax helps our productive sector and doesn't drive off our productivity offshore.
0: Mm-hmm. In the end, in my mind, it all comes down to ultimately farmers need less obstacles put in their way and let them get on with the job of producing food. Farm input costs are rising. Have you got any ideas around how you would increase farm gate returns for New Zealand farmers?
1: Uh, Angus, that comes up in pretty much every meeting, and it's it's all conceptualised by, by the wording red tape. We've got to get red tape as where as possible out of farmers' lives. I mean, get back to farming, right? Um, and I I do think the language in, a, in and around the two to one from the National Party policy statement was potentially in the right direction. I mean, I gave it a six out of 10. I think that they could have been a little bit more concise in their language. I think the wider point is there is a lot of duplication and we see it as farmers. But actually to find the problem, and I've seen productivity on farm basically collapse and by virtue, that's where fiscal models are being hurt. We've got duplication um in in in, in um regulation, we said all the time. But I think the wider point is a lot of it is ill defined. And I think we've got to get back to to you or words earlier, catchment level solutions rather than central planning out of Wellington. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean this quite respectfully to everyone in Parliament, We're pretty much one of the only few farmers in the building. And we spent, as farmers, or I do, and a couple of the others that I know have got farming background, more time explaining the issue than debating them. So I think mm-hmm. the wider point is define the problem before you seek solutions. And I think this is where the politics has got in the way of the policy. Define what the problem is that is that we're seeking. And quite often it's nuanced at a local level rather than centrally modeled. And I've seen it with water quality. I mean, I've used that example. I had a members bill that gave more oversight back to council, embracing the technology that was being developed and homes like Overseer, which has had several iterations, which was found to be too generic. I think we can continue to innovate those tools, understand nuances at a local level, Improve outcomes, but not all this unnecessary regulatory burden um, from Wellington. Get a lot of that out of people's lives, and I think you'll see a, um, a reinvigorated rural sector.
0: Thank you very much for your time today, Mark.
1: Always a pleasure, Angus. Take care.
0: It was good to hear Mark's views and those of the ACT party. Now, When I reflect on National's announcement this week regarding carbon farming, I see it as a good first step, but it only covers foreign investment, which is only about 40% of sheep and beef farm sales into forestry in the last few years. From what I can gather, National is proposing that foreign investors can only buy a farm to convert into forestry, but they wouldn't be able to enter it into the ETS. This will essentially put the brakes on carbon farming or permanent forest investment, but there still needs to be reform of the ETS, which is the main driver of the loss of food-producing land and ultimately the decimation of rural communities and the risk of losing export revenue for New Zealand. That's all from me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.